Sometimes I get grinchy. Do you? You know, sometimes I think that's okay. We need to get a, a little grinchy. If there was one thing I could change about Christmas, what would it be? If there's one thing I could change about the Christmas season, here's what I think I would change. I would change it so that every store and restaurant you go into wasn't playing all of this cheesy, goopy Christmas songs. You know, I mean, I'm fine with Christmas. I mean, I love singing Advent and Christmas songs with you here and on Christmas Eve. And, and uh, you know, I, lo- I, I like going to Christmas concerts where there's good music there. But I don't know, it's something about using these Christmas songs as a marketing tool to get us to buy more. That After a while, it just sort of irritates me. And that's my grinchiness coming out, right? Uh, so I'm tossing this question back to you. If you could change one thing about the Christmas season, what would it be? Think about that. And in just a moment, I'm going to have you huddle up into groups of three or four and talk about how you would answer that. And, and of course, if you don't want to say anything or you can't think of anything, there's no problem with that. Feel free just to listen. And as you uh, find, get your huddle form, kind of look around. If there's somebody near you who's alone, you know, see if they want to join with you as well. Okay? And, uh, you know, I only give you a couple minutes, so you kind of have to group up, huddle up quickly, and make sure everybody gets a chance uh, to do that. So... Anyway, on your mark, get set, go. All right, now I'm going to try something I have not done before when I've done these huddles, and that is I'm going to go out into uh, uh, amongst you and see if a few of you want to share what would be one thing you would change about the Christmas season. Yeah, Ben. More snow. More snow, okay. (laughs) All right, anybody over here, you want to say, yeah. I'm coming your way, Sandy. I would change all the commercialism. I okay. like the music. I like the music. You like the music, not the commercialism. Okay. All right. They didn't clap for more snow, Ben. Did you notice that? All right. How about over here? Who's got something you want to share? All right. Thanksgiving always leads to a weekend. Thanksgiving, Christmas would always lead to a weekend. So you want, you want Christmas always on Thursdays, long weekend, right? All right, I can, I can, go, I can go with that. Here, Vicki. Less, less political correctness taking Christ out of Christmas. Okay, so less political correctness so you don't take Christ out of Christmas, okay? Uh, let's uh, come over here to this aisle and see who has one. Yeah. I wanted to start on November 1st. You want to start Christmas on November 1st. Like, not before that, or at least... You, you want to go straight from Halloween to Christmas. Okay, very good. All right, somebody over here? We got one over here? We, we were saying, a lot of us, just that we would like to have members of our family that have long gone be with us. Still. Yeah, that would, be a, that would be cool, wouldn't it? To have, you miss your family. That's right. Okay. Well, um, today is the second Sunday of Advent, and uh, last Sunday I made this claim, that unless 
you, are, you prepare spiritually, your Christmas will be a pagan holiday. That it will be nothing more than a celebration of winter wonderland. And you know, for a lot of people, that's all they want. And that's enough. And I don't hold that against them, you know. Uh, but I believe that you are here because you want more. You're looking for something more to prepare you for what Christmas is. And this Advent, we, we are listening to John the Baptist. And historically, the church has always taken some of the time in Advent to, to listen to John the Baptist and his message in getting ready, people ready to meet Jesus. So let's open our Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 3. Uh, if you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 1028. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, a readable Bible at home, then let's take care of that today, shall we? Uh, if you go out in the foyer after worship, you'll, you'll see the Connection Center, which is right next to the elevator, and there's a little uh, display of Bibles. Just take one. You can have it. And maybe, maybe you'll start reading this, this uh, biography about Jesus written by Luke that we're looking in today. That would be a great place to start. Uh, now, at the beginning of Luke chapter 3, I'm not going to read verses 1 and 2, but you kind of look up there and you'll see a whole bunch of names of people and offices they held. And that's how in ancient times a writer would date events, okay, based on who is in office where and when. And based on these, scholars are able to determine and calculate that John started doing this uh, in about either late 28 A.D. or into 29 A.D. And just so you know, John the Baptist was not the founder of the Baptist church. Just saying, okay? Uh, the, the, the Baptist church came much, 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 much later. Uh, but John, the baptizer, uh, calls people to get ready for the Messiah. The Messiah is coming, and he calls them to confess and repent and be baptized. Uh, interesting thing about John is that he did not follow in his father's footsteps and become a priest, which would have been the normal thing for him to do. Uh, instead, he became this wilderness prophet, and uh, John was the kind of guy who didn't really care much what people thought. And I guess if you're going to be a prophet, that's the kind of person you need to be, you know? You don't care what people think or what they say. You're just going to say what God told you to say anyway. You need a thick skin. You know, you know, one of the things that, you know, when I start a message here on Sundays, I, I kind of like to start soft, you know? Maybe I'll start with a personal story. If I, if I can, I try to toss in a little humor. Um, but John, he didn't take any preaching classes. <laughs> he went straight for the jugular. Let's start with verse 7. Can you follow with me? John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers! Now, for the record, I have never started a sermon with you brood of vipers <laughs> so far. Can you imagine lighting a big pile of old wood, creating a bonfire, and you light that fire, and then all of a sudden you see a, a swarm of snakes scurrying off, fleeing the flames? Well, that's the picture John is giving us here. And, and, you know, some of the people who come to him who want to be baptized, they're not really doing it be, for the right reasons. They're, they, they, they're, not, they're kind of doing it for show and not because they really think they need to change. So John says, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? 
By the way, I've got a question for you. Here it is. I'll pop it up on the screen. Who started a movement that granted membership based on how people answered this question? Say the question with me, will you? Do you desire to flee the wrath to come and be saved from your sins? Hmm, I wonder who that was. Before being granted access to their meetings, you had to answer yes to that question. Who started that movement? It was John Wesley. And the movement was called Methodism. John Wesley said, you know, you don't have to be a Christian to get into a Methodist class meeting, but you have to have, at least have a desire for God to save you. Now, let's talk a little bit about wrath. What, what is this wrath to come? Well, yeah, it's talking about judgment. But let me clarify about the wrath of God. Wrath does not mean that God is nasty or abusive. So just wipe that out of your mind. That's not what it's talking about. Wrath means that God is opposed to whatever is corrupt and obscene and, and unjust. God stands against behavior that is disobedient and vile and violent. You know, I was wondering, maybe we should ask that question more often. Seemed to work for John Wesley and the early Methodist. Do you desire to flee the wrath to come and be saved of your sins? Now, John the Baptist was not talking to the Romans or the Egyptians or the Greeks. He was talking to the people of Israel, people who had a covenant with their God Yahweh, the God of Abraham and Sarah. And John told them, you got to confess and repent. In uh, Donald Miller's book, Blue Like Jazz, he tells a story about back when he was in college, and there was this annual crazy all-night, all-campus party, uh, you know, people getting smashed and, and uh, all kinds of sexual hookups just going on. I mean, it was kind of a huge free-for-all. And so, so he and some of his Christian friends set up this, con this confession tent right in the middle of campus, in the middle of all that mayhem. Uh, but when people came in to the confession tent, instead of being invited to confess their sins, the Christians in the booth, Don Miller and his friends, confessed their sins to them. These Christians confessed their sins to their college friends. And no one was expecting that. But it had a powerful impact. I believe that God is calling us, church people, Christians, disciples of Jesus, to repent. Listen to what John says in, in verse 8. Look down there with me. Wait, verse 8. He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. What does that mean? Well, here it is plain and simple. Producing the fruit of repentance means we have to change our ways. We who are believers, who are Christians, yeah, we've got to change our ways. Let's say it together, shall we? Producing the fruit of repentance means we have to change our ways. Some of the people who came to John, um, I mean, they didn't want to change their ways. They, they thought, hey, God's already pleased with me because I'm one of his chosen people. I'm, I'm a Jew. I'm, I'm a child of Abraham. They figured, well, I'm automatically good with God. 
And John says, think again. If God wants to have children of Abraham, he can do it without you. He can make sons and daughters of Abraham out of these stones. He said, it's time to produce the fruit of repentance. It's time to change your ways. Now, if you had an orchard, you would, you would soon see that some trees bear lots of fruit. I mean, they just really are loaded, great harvest from those trees. And other trees, they just don't bear much at all. And you try to mess with them and coax them and hurry, you know, get them to produce more. You prune them back, but still they're not, they're not producing fruit. And then you finally the day you comes when you decide, well, it's just taking up too much of soil and water and everything, so you get out your axe. It's time to cut it down. And if you want to be God's people, then start bearing fruit. Change your ways. You don't want to be a, a fruitless tree that's only good for firewood. Now, I think verse 10 may be the real turning point in this whole passage, kind of the key verse. Do you see it with, uh, with me? Um, it says, what should we do then? And I like the simplicity and honesty of that question. Okay, well, what am I supposed to do? John, if we're supposed to produce the fruit of repentance, uh, what does that look like? Give, give us some examples, uh, some specifics. What does God want us to do? Now, of the four Gospels, all of them tell about John the Baptist, but only Luke gives this exchange that we find right here. Let's look at verse 11. John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Now, the word shirt here uh, refers to the long garment that is worn um, next to the skin, underneath the outer clothing. And um, instead of being made with wool, like most clothing, it was often made of linen. So it was a finer, smoother fabric, and if you could afford to have one. And John says, so if you meet someone who, who doesn't have this, this undershirt, what are you going to do? Well, if you've got an extra one at home, go get it. And give it to them. See, John isn't calling for some government program. He's not even talking to the government. He's talking to people like you and me. Today out in the foyer, you'll notice that there's a table set up, and there are these two little trees about like this high. Uh, maybe you saw them when you came in, um, the, and, and they have these little cards on them. And, and the purpose of these, they're giving trees, and the purpose of them is to restock um, the, at Central Middle School next door, the zone, which is a little sort of a shop, uh, where a little room in the school next to the library, I've been in it, where uh, the teacher or counselor can bring a student in there and, and get free package of underwear or socks, or a pair of sweats, or a hoodie, or a coat. And if you want to be a part of restocking the zone, then I would just invite you to take one of those cards uh, for, from one of those trees out there. There's one for boys, one for girls, and just shop for the item on the list. And then next Sunday, you can bring, the, bring it back here. Or else there will also be a barrel set up out at the west entrance all during the week as well, starting tomorrow. So anyway, um, and maybe you say, well, I've never done anything like that before. And uh, I would say, well, that's probably true for a lot of us. 
At one point, none of us, most of us had never done anything like this before. But let's say it again, shall we? Producing the fruit of repentance means we have to change our ways. Friday morning, I sat down with Juan Carlos Veloso and his wife, Marite. Uh, they are in the process of starting this new Latino church in South Omaha, and, and we are partnering to help support that. And I know many of you these last, this fall have donated clothing, kids' clothing, uh, for their community closet. Trisha and I got to go to the dedication of that community closet uh, a couple months ago. And then I know last month, uh, a few of you went through all that clothing that we had des uh, donated here uh, this fall, and you sorted through it so that really we were only given good stuff, and stuff in excellent condition. And then it was washed and dried and folded, and I'm very thankful to those people who did that. Um, anyway, Juan Carlos and Marite uh, said that sometimes people shopping at their community closet say, well, do I, do I need to pay for the, these clothes? And, and Juan Carlos and Marite uh, love being able to say, no, it is like God's love. It is free. And, and, and it's kind of their segue to be able to, to, to share God's love with them. So these clothes are kind of like an object lesson telling the gospel. Isn't that cool? John the Baptist says that when, when someone doesn't have enough to eat, well, and you've got extra, well, just share with them. Give them some of yours. And I know some of you have done that with people you know, going through a hard time. Uh, maybe what you gave them was a gift card, you know, to a grocery store. I don't know. And, and you can do it through our pantry. Uh, a couple things I want you to know about our pantry, okay? First, I do not believe that our, by our pantry we are creating dependence. And that, that's an important thing to consider. Uh, and the reason I, one reason I think we're not creating dependence is because we're only giving a few days' worth of food just to kind of help, help them make it to the end of the month. And, yeah, there are some people we see nearly every month, but for a lot of people, they just come occasionally as needed. And second, food is not the most important thing we give. We give encouragement. We give friendship and hope and, and, and the news that God loves them. And that's, that's why uh, this is w way more important than the groceries we give. You may not know that starting next year, uh, one of our pantry patrons is actually going to be on our pantry committee, which is a, a new step for us. I think it's very cool. And, and I'm praying that one day, maybe next year, God will create a community kind of like one of our small groups or maybe even a mini church made mostly of pantry patrons. Wouldn't that, be, wouldn't that be a cool thing? And I'm praying that God is going to raise up some, uh, a couple of pioneers from Faith Westwood to help get that started. Then another group came to John, and uh, when they showed up, everybody started whispering, I'm guessing, you know, uh, what are they doing here? Let's look at verse 12. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Now, back then, everybody hated tax collectors. 
I mean, they would go in searching your home, you know, trying to find anything of value that could be taxed. They would frisk you to make sure you weren't hiding anything. And then when they gave you the bill, bill uh, your tax bill, you had no recourse but to pay it or be thrown in jail, even though you knew they jacked up the price. John says, well, if you were one of God's people and you work as a tax collector, it's time to change your ways. He said, don't collect any more than you are required to. You know, you go later in, in Luke's gospel, uh, chapter 19, Zacchaeus was a tax collector and he admitted to cheating people. Yeah, he, he, he admitted he'd done it. And he promised, he repented, he promised to, to pay back everyone that he had cheated. Not only would he pay back the amount, he would pay the fine that would normally go with it if you were, you know, brought to court and, and convicted for a total of four times the amount. You know, I know this doesn't apply probably to most of, of you here, uh, and, but maybe it does to a few. And maybe some of you can look back and, at times in your life when it did happen. Some of you have bosses who expect you to inflate the cost to your clients, maybe to pad your hours or something like that. Or, or you have bosses that tell you to recommend service, service to your clients that they don't really need. So difficult things, aren't they? Producing the fruit of of repentance means we have to change our ways. One time Jesus chastised uh, the teachers of the law. I mean, these are guys, they, they knew the Bible, what we would call the Old Testament, front and back. They knew it better than anybody. And yet they would find loopholes in the law so that they could foreclose on the homes of poor widows. Despite their vast Bible knowledge, they conveniently skipped over the part about love your neighbor as yourself. They avoided all those times where God said how much care and concern he has for widows and orphans and foreigners. Well, then another group shows up. Verse 14. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? Now, most scholars agree these are not Roman soldiers. More likely they are Jewish soldiers employed by Herod, so they're kind of the local enforcers, more like police officers, I suppose. They were not well paid, so they routinely took advantage of people. You know, kind of little mafia action on the side or bribery or something like that. John knows what's going on. He, he replied, don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. What's John saying? He's saying don't be a bully. Just because you have power doesn't mean you can bully people. No, don't, don't push people around. You know, I would suggest that we all have some power over others. Maybe you don't realize it all the time, but at some point here and there, some people, we have power some power. Maybe you had a boss who took advantage of you. Don't be that way when you're the boss. Maybe you had a parent who was manipulative. 
Don't be that way when you're the parent. Maybe you had a rich classmate who ridiculed others. Don't be that way to someone who has less than you. See, power is a dangerous thing sometimes. Power. You want to use it to serve others, not to bully them. I'd like to close the message today with a kind of a long prayer of confession that will be up on the screen and we'll, we'll do it back and forth together. It's kind of a um, one similar to what we had last Sunday if you were here. Uh, but I want you to know that, that your part will be in yellow, okay? My part will be in white. So this is a prayer of confession. I, let's pray. Holy and righteous God, we confess that we have enjoyed the privileges of being called your people, but we have been reluctant to repent. We have been easily blinded to our pride. We have rarely noticed our attitude of superiority. Confront us with the truth of our sin, and by your Holy Spirit, empower us to produce the fruit of repentance. We have prided ourselves as upstanding church people who did not need to repent. We have practiced fruitless repentance We have overspent for ourselves and undergiven for those in need. We have followed the letter of the law and forgotten compassion. We have misused power to claim privileges for ourselves. O oh God, we have sinned against you far more than we realized. We are not worthy to be called your people. Even when we want to repent, we find it hard to change our ways. Help us, O oh Lord. Restore us. Transform us into the likeness of your Son, Jesus. Together, we embrace your promise. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. By the grace of Jesus Christ, who died our death and rose from the grave, 
we are made new. Amen.